and uh, maybe a little bit of it was sinking to you guys. So further ado, Mr. McMaster. Hey, thanks, Matt. All right, thanks you guys. My name is Chuck Leemaster. I'm with Team Faith Racing, and you probably saw my rig out front when you pulled in today uh, on the school bus, your parents dropping you off. Um, I am privileged to be with this team and to go all across the country in that big rig and use dirt bikes to share what I believe in. We, on Team Faith, we, uh, we use, we race arena cross. Um, you guys ever watch arena cross on TV? You ever watch Supercross? All right, good, good. I'm in good company here. I could not believe how many of you raised your hands that you have dirt bikes or four-wheelers that you ride. That is so cool. I feel right at home with you guys because uh, that's what I do. We race arena cross. We race GNCC, the Grand National Cross Country Series, which is the world's largest off-road racing organization. We have a jet ski race team that you probably see pictures scrolling of, uh, of jet ski racing. We also do freestyle motocross. And we've been, we've been all across the country. We've been across the globe with freestyle motocross. Uh, we've been to Egypt. We've been to Jamaica. We're getting ready to go to, I think, Mexico this year. And we use dirt bikes all the time. We, we're out there. We're racing, and we're competing, and we're doing our best. And, and people often ask us, well, where's the name come from? Team Faith. What is that all about? Well, here's, here's what we figure. We figure that everybody, everybody in this room, we all have, we all have faith in something. Either faith in my abilities, or faith in my parents, or faith in somebody else, or faith in my equipment, my machinery. We have faith in God. And so we get to go around to all these different places. Everywhere that we go, we take the church to the racetrack. And so we tell people about what we believe. And we use racing to do that. But you know, there's an interesting thing. People don't like to hear from lazy people. People don't, people don't want to hear what a bum has to say. They want to hear what a winner has to say. And so everywhere that we go, we compete at the highest levels, and we do our absolute very best, and we build relationships with people, and we bang handlebars with other racers, and we do the best that we can possibly do so we can establish a relationship and a friendship and then be able to tell them what we believe in. And so uh, back in 2008, anybody here watch X Games? You ever see X Games on E? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. More of you guys than the other group watch X Games. This is cool. You like skateboarding? BMX? Yeah, all as the freestyle motocross. Yeah, have you ever heard of an event called Speed and Style? Yeah, there's a few. What it, what it is, and this isn't X Games nowadays. You'll have to watch for it this August when X Games comes up. Speed and Style started back in 2008. X Games decided that they wanted to bring together the best freestyle competitors with the best racers, the best uh, uh, motocross racers, and they wanted to have a competition to figure out who was the best of the best. All right, so once and for all, let's settle it all. Best freestylers, best racers. And, we're, and what they did was they built a supercross track at the LAX Coliseum, or at the LA Coliseum, rather. And uh, they built a supercross track down in, in the middle, in the bowl. And they put in the middle of that, they had this big freestyle ramp, big metal freestyle ramp with a big landing. And uh, they said, what we're going to do is we're going to have bracket racing. And if you've ever watched drag racing, you know how there are two cars that go down the drag strip at a time? They call it bracket racing. So, so the winner of that will advance to the next bracket against the winner of that, and they both go, and then the winner advances, and so on. So that's how this format was, speed and style. We're going to put two people on the track, fastest time gets points, best trick gets points. At the end of the day, best points are going to add up, and we're going to have an overall winner, the best of the best. And so they invited all these guys. Well, our guy... <clears throat> 
a team face was Kevin Johnson. All right, now back in the day, Kevin Johnson was a supercross rider. And then he transitioned over to arena cross. And at the time, arena cross had what, in between main events, they always want to entertain the crowd. You know, it gets kind of boring to watch all the track work. If you've ever been, has anybody ever been to a supercross or arena cross? That's a pretty good amount because you guys had to drive a long way to get to one. That's cool. So in, in between, when they're doing all that dozer work on the track, they wanted to have something to entertain the crowd. And so they said, we're going to have a jump-off contest. And, and so they picked three of the racers, and they said, hit the finish line jump, and whoever does the best trick, the, the crowd will vote on this. Whoever does the best trick wins all the money. Kevin Johnson won almost every single jump-off that there was that he ever entered. All right? And so... Matter of fact, one time he was at an arena cross race and he was in the daytime during the daytime qualifiers and he was practicing and all he kept doing was hitting the finish line jump and he kept hitting the finish line jump and hitting the finish line jump. And finally, his dad called him over, grabbed him by the helmet and said, what are you doing? We're here to race. We're not here to do freestyle on the finish line jump. Get serious about it, son. But that started something for Kevin. He loved freestyle. And so he started learning some tricks. He started hitting some ramps. And he started learning how to, how to perfect his skill on freestyle. And uh, in 2008, he got the invite to go to X Games for this inaugural speed and style event. Well, so did a whole bunch of other racers. They invited a whole bunch of the top racers, but a lot of the factory teams, Yamaha and, and Kawasaki, wouldn't even let their guys go and compete in this speed and style event because it was so dangerous, because you might get hurt. Well, Kevin said, I'm going. This is an opportunity of a lifetime, get invited to X Games. He said, the problem is, all these freestyle guys that they've invited know how to do the backflip. You guys have seen, I mean, backflips are pretty common in freestyle nowadays, but this is just a few years ago, 2008. Not everybody was doing a backflip uh, to the level that they are nowadays, but pretty much every freestyle rider could at least do a basic backflip. Kevin couldn't do a backflip. He said, so if I'm going to go to X Games, I'm going to bring my A game. I'm going to do my very best. I am going to learn how to do the backflip. He lives down in Texas, and that's where Chuck Carruthers lives. And so he went over to Carruthers' house, and Carruthers has this big foam pit in the backyard. Just think of a, a swimming pool full of foam blocks, all right? You hit the ramp, you go up in the air, and you land into this big, it's supposed to be a big cushy landing, but actually they tell me it hurts pretty good. It's a, it, it'll jar you. And it's, it's actually pretty dangerous because you get a lot of fuel in there. It gets to be 120 degrees down in there. You have to have a crane. Sometimes you have to find the rider that's buried under there. It is a lot of work. It's not like you're just going to go and jump on the bed, all right? Jumping into a foam pit's big deal. Over 100 times, Kevin Johnson jumped into the foam pit trying to learn the backflip. He finally got to the point where he said, I think I got it. So he goes out and he hits, he hits the ramp and he goes to land on a dirt landing. He does the backflip, he lands and he crashes. He goes up, he hits it and he lands and he crashes. He tries a third time and finally he lands it and he sticks it. And he said, but that was ugly. I don't think I can do the backflip because now it's already August 2008. It is time to get in the truck. It's time to go to X Games. He says, I can't do the backflip. Man, I've tried. I've done my very best. I've worked my heart out. It's been hard work. It's been hot. It's been sticky. It's been torture but I can't do the backflip. And if I'm going to go and compete at the highest level without the backflip, I really don't stand a chance. But he went anyway. He said later on that he felt a little bit like David and Goliath. If you've ever heard that old story about David, little shepherd boy, goes up against a nine-foot-tall giant and all he had was five rocks and a sling. Well, that's how Kevin said that he felt. He said that he felt like little old shepherd boy going up against the big giants because there were big names at this event. Well, he goes out... 
And in the daytime for X Games, they have these qualifiers. You have to qualify to compete, just like Supercross. You have to qualify to compete in the main event. Well, Kevin was the last place qualifier. He barely made it into the quarterfinals, the part that they show on TV. He was pretty bummed. And as bracket racing go, they take the best qualifier and the worst qualifier, and they put them together. And so little old shepherd boy David, or <laughs> little old shepherd boy Kevin, gets put on the line up against Nate Adams. You guys ever heard of Nate Adams? Red Bull X-Fighters? X-Games? Okay, Nate Adams. Now you've heard of him, okay? At this time, just a few years ago when this happened, he already had eight medals from X-Games. Dude is super talented, arguably one of the best freestyle riders in the world. Kevin Johnson can't do a backflip. Nate Adams is already doing combination backflips. Lines up against him on the start line. Says, this is going to be the shortest race of my life because I'm about to head back to the truck for the rest of the day. But I'm going to go out there. I'm going to give it my best shot. On the warm-up lap, before they even get racing, they're allowed to go out and take a lap around the track just to check, check out all the berms and the ruts and make sure everything's set with their bike. Nate Adams hits a jump, a big jump, and his bike locks up. The motor blows up on the takeoff jump, and Nate Adams crashes, gets injured, and can't even compete. All of a sudden, Kevin Johnson's advancing to the next round without even firing his bike up. It's like, well, I guess that wasn't such a short race after all, because I'm advanced. I don't even know what I did, but I'm advancing. Nate Adams turned out to be okay, but his motor locked up. Couldn't race anymore. Kevin Johnson advances. The next person he has to line up against, though, Travis Pastrana. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. Y'all know Travis Pastrana. That was kind of Kevin's reaction, too. Oh. Travis Pastrana is the guy that pretty much started freestyle. I mean, freestyle started back in 1990-something with crusty demons and dirt. But then around 2000, this kid comes along, 16-year-old kid, Travis Pastrana, factory Suzuki rider, wins the 125 national title, super fast on a dirt bike, but all he wants to do is freestyle. And this, the, the corporate executives at Suzuki said, Travis, you've got to quit goofing off with all this stuff. You've got to get serious about racing. He says, I want to do freestyle. And because of Travis Pastrana, freestyle is today what it is today because Travis Pastrana. Kevin Johnson has to line up on the line against Travis Pastrana. Talk about a short day. I didn't get to go to X Games in 2008. I was at home watching it on live TV on, on ESPN. But when that rig that's out there, when it got back from California and it pulled into Nashville, Tennessee, I went in to get something out of the rig, and I saw on our marker board up, again, up above the stove, we have this marker board that we'll write notes on. On that marker board, it said, KJ Holeshot TP Crash. Kevin's mechanic at the time had written that on the board, and what it meant was if Kevin Johnson gets the hole shot, if he gets to the first corner first, then Travis Pastrana will crash. Do you know what happened? That's exactly right. Gate drops, Kevin takes off, first corner first, gets the whole shot. Travis Pastrana freaks out, loses the front end, tucks it, and crashes on the ground. Kevin Johnson's gone. Checks out, stomps Travis Pastrana. Travis goes out, he picks up his bike, and he goes out and he does a big backflip, and it's a really cool trick, but he got blistered by Kevin Johnson. All of a sudden, little old shepherd boy Kevin Johnson from Team Faith, who can't do a backflip or do nothing, nothing, nothing about anything about X Games, advances to the semifinals. Semifinals, he's on the line with Jeremy Twitch Stenberg of Metal Militia. Twitch is a super crazy 
freestyle rider because he don't care. He's willing to crash. He's willing to let it all hang out. Well, they get going, and Twitch knew that he couldn't beat him heads up on a race, but he knew he could beat him on freestyle. If he could just, if he could just get out ahead of Kevin first, he could block Kevin, do a better freestyle jump than Kevin, and he would have it in the bag. So Twitch goes up high in a berm, comes to cut down in front of Kevin Johnson and take his line away. Kevin Johnson, with all that arena cross experience, knew exactly what was happening, changed his line up. Twitch ends up crashing into Kevin, falling down. Kevin, all of a sudden, he wins the race. Freestyle competition notwithstanding, all of a sudden, Kevin Johnson's in the final event. Like, this is for the gold. The winner gets the silver medal. The winner gets the gold, or the loser gets the silver. The winner gets the gold medal. He's up against Ronnie Renner. Interestingly enough, Ronnie Renner was the only other guy in the whole competition that couldn't do a backflip. He had been just like Kevin. He'd been at home practicing backflips into the foam pit, but he wasn't ready to do it. And so he, he, he already said before the start of the competition, I can't do the backflip. Kevin Johnson said, I can't do the backflip. The commentators on ESPN Live TV are talking about neither of these guys can do a backflip. Who would have ever thought that we'd have two guys in speed and style that can't do a backflip? But here we are, Kevin Johnson of Team Faith, who, uses his, who says that he uses his talents and gifts to bring glory to the one who created him. That's what he's out here, says that he's doing. They're going to line up against each other. And we know that Kevin Johnson is a fast, fast racer, but can he beat Ronnie Renner, who's a professional freestyle rider? Well, the gate drops. Ronnie Renner gets an awesome launch. Gets the whole shot. Gets to the first corner first. Go around the first corner. They go around the second corner. They hit the rhythm section. They start jumping. Ronnie's going two, two through the rhythm section. All of a sudden, Kevin Johnson just grabs a handful of throttle, triples past Ronnie Renner, slams into the corner, and comes out a bike length ahead of him and just checks out. And that was it. That was over, folks. It was done. Ronnie Renner, he goes up and he, he hits the freestyle ramp. He throws a perfect straight-up ruler, uh, straight-up kiss-of-death ruler. Beautiful jump. Kevin Johnson, when he hits the ramp, he does a fully extended double seat grab, lands it. The judges say, you know, that kiss of death was really cool. It's better than the seat grab, but Kevin beat him by four and a half seconds. That's going to be a lot of points, and sure enough, when the final score came up, Kevin Johnson had won gold at the inaugural Speed and Style event. The guy who didn't even want to get out of the truck that day because he was afraid he was going to embarrass himself. But he said, man, I've been training for this. I've been planning for it. And I've had my heart set on this. I've done my best. I'm not going to stop now. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do my best. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about today, is doing your best. You've got tests coming up next week. And tests are hard sometimes. But I want you to do your best, because you never know. You were created for so much more. And the reason is you, you have incredible value. All right, you are a valuable person. Now, I've noticed during, my, during talking about that Speed and Style event, pretty much every single one of you were looking at me except for when there was something cool on the screen, but your ears were still listening to me. And there, there was a reason for that, and I'll get into that in just a minute here, all right? But right now, I want to give you a test. I'm going to give you a test to see who's been doing your best, to see who's really been paying attention, and I'm going to ask you a question. And if you know the answer to this question, I want you to raise your hand. But beware, all right? Because if I call on you, I'm going to embarrass you, all right? But with risk comes reward, all right? So you're going to do your best? Here's the question. What was the name of the rider who blew up his motor right there? Nope. Right there. Keep your hands up. Right there. 
Ah, oh, right there. Nate Adams, come down here. <laughs> we had some valiant efforts there. You're willing to be embarrassed, huh? No. No. <laughs> What's your name? Blake. Blake, shake my hand. All right, Blake. Thanks for being a good sport. Appreciate you listening. I got a job for you here. I'm going to give this to you, but before I do, I want you to tell people what this is. $20 bill. It's a $20. Not only is it a $20 bill, this is a fresh, crisp, good smelling $20 bill. Now, how much is this worth? $20. All right. Now, how much is it worth now? Huh? $20. $20. How about now? I have some dirt from the racetrack, and I've stomped it. It's into the ground. I've kicked it around. How much is it worth now? $20. $20. That's right. It is still valuable. It has been kicked around. It has been stomped into the ground. It has dirt all over it, and it's muddy. And it is still valuable. You're valuable. You're valuable. You are worth more than 20 bucks, but that's all I got. It is yours. Thanks. Everybody give them a hand. Go ahead. You have a seat. All right. Now, don't be buying all your buddies ice cream. You're going to have more buddies than you knew you had, and they're all going to want ice cream for lunch. Just say no, okay? You guys... You guys get it? You are valuable. There are going to be bad things that happen in life. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall down. You're going to get muddy. You're going to do things that you're embarrassed about, but you're still valuable. Don't let, that, don't let the mistakes stop you from becoming who you were meant to be. Some of you, some of you are really good at school. Some of you make straight A's, and I don't want to see any hands, but some of you make straight A's. Some of you don't make straight A's. I know for me, English was an easy subject. I didn't have any problem making A's in English. But math, I still don't understand. Two plus two is the same as two times two. But three plus three is not the same as three times three. I can't figure out math. Yeah, I see some blank looks. (laughs) Some of you aren't good at math either. you'll You'll figure that one out in a minute. I couldn't do math. I had a hard time with math. Getting a C in math was good for me, all right? And I hope, that, I hope you guys are better than that than I was. But, you know, another subject that came really easy for me was public speaking, all right? Now, I noticed that you guys were all paying attention to me a second ago as I told that really cool story about X Games and gold and doing your best. There's a reason for that. Public speaking has been really easy for me. So when I got into college, I took a course called Introduction to Public Speaking. And basically, it was about 50 people about the size of this section, and I had to stand up in front of the class, and I had to give a speech. It was really easy, and I got an A in that class. I think I gave like three speeches throughout the course of the semester, and I got an A on every single one of them, and I had a lot of fun doing it, because I like getting up in front of people, and I like telling jokes and making people laugh and stomping on dollar bills and all that good stuff, all right? It was easy. So I got really confident. I said, man, this is such an easy, easy A for me. I need to boost my GPA. I'm going to take the advanced public speaking course. As a freshman, I'm going to take the junior, senior level public speaking because public speaking, easy. I remember the first day of that class, the professor got up in front of the class and she said, somebody in this room is going to get up here in front of the class. They're going to get up in front of all these people and they're going to lose their mind. 
They're going to forget what they had prepared. They're going to go totally blank. They're going to stutter. They're going to stammer. They're going to turn beet red, and they're going to go sit down. And I laughed. I said, well, stinks to be that person. Any guess who that person ended up being? Yeah, right here. I didn't give it my best. I thought this was going to be easy. This would be a piece of cake. Didn't give it my best. I got up. I was actually in the Army Reserves at the time, and I had a lot of military training. The Army was near and dear to my heart. So I was going to give a, a speech on the Gulf War of 1991. Man, I know this stuff. I know people that were in it. I got up in front of that class, and I went totally blank. And I started stuttering, and I started stammering, and my face went beet red. And I finally got through something, and I went and I sat down, and I was so embarrassed. It was, it was one of the worst days of my life. But you know the reason that you guys are paying attention to the things I'm saying today? It's because I learned from that experience. I've planned, and I've prepared, and I've rehearsed. I'm talking to you guys about doing your best, and I'm out here doing my best so that you'll learn to do your best. Learn from your mistakes. You have incredible value. But life isn't always going to be fair. You're going to get kicked around. You're going to get stomped. You're even going to make mistakes. Learn from it and continue to do your best. You see, I believe, I believe that I was created on purpose and for a purpose. And that part of my purpose is even being here with you guys today. And I couldn't put the pieces of this together in my life until just recently. I couldn't figure this out. You see, back when I was 12 years old, right when I was about your age, when I was 12 years old, I was living in Kenton, Ohio, which is about three and a half hours due west of here, middle of cornfields. I mean, at least you, you guys have hills around here. It's really pretty. Kenton, Ohio, flat. <laughs> I didn't have, I was the oldest, uh, oldest boy of three boys, so I was the older brother, so I didn't have an older crazy brother that raced dirt bikes. I didn't have a crazy uncle that rode dirt bikes. I didn't have any silly cousins. I didn't have any weird neighbors that rode. Nobody in my life rode dirt bikes. But when I was 12 years old, for some reason, I wanted a dirt bike in the worst kind of way. And so my parents said, hey, you can have a dirt bike if you earn it. If you pay for it, you can have a dirt bike. I said, fair enough. So I took the family push mower, and I started walking the neighborhood with the push mower, knocking on doors. Can I cut your grass? It'll only be $2. I was cutting grass for $2 a yard. All right, you can have a uh, conversation with your teacher later on about economics <laughs> and inflation and all that fun stuff. I wouldn't touch a blade of grass for $2 today. But man, I wanted that dirt bike so bad, I was willing to do whatever it took. If that meant cut a yard at $2 a lawn or $5 or whatever, I cut grass and I cut grass and I cut grass. And I had a drawer, my dresser drawer. I took all my socks and t-shirts out of there and I had this drawer just full of money. And when I finally had that drawer full of money, I opened it up and I counted and I had enough money to buy me a dirt bike. So I bought a dirt bike. It was a, it was a little Suzuki 80. And when I bought it, I was probably too big for it, but I didn't know how to ride it. I had this funny orange open-faced helmet, didn't even have a chin bar on it, open face. It was bright orange, goofy looking thing. I'd get that dirt bike out in the yard. We had a yard about the size of this gymnasium and I'd kickstart that thing up and I'd rev it up and I'd have the clutch in and I'd let the clutch out and the thing would just stall. I'd fire it up, and I'd let the clutch out, and the thing would just stall. I'd fire it up, I'd let the clutch out, and the thing would loop out. <laughs> I had no idea how to ride that thing, but I persevered, and I loved that thing. Best thing that ever happened to me was we moved to western New York. Now, when I say New York, y'all probably think New York City. I have never been to New York City, all right? I lived in the sticks, out and out, kind of like, 
I lived out in the country a lot like this. This school right here reminds me of home. I remember being in a small school and everybody knowing each other and getting into each other's business. I remember one time I was called to the principal's office. I won't ask anybody here who's ever been called to the principal's office, but I had been called to the principal's office. Uh, this was not my first time being called to the principal's office, all right? And I heard it come over the loudspeaker. So, Lee Master, please report to the principal's office. It's like, oh no, what have I done? I didn't even know what I had done. And all my friends sitting in class were like, ah, you're busted, what'd you do? I said, I don't know. I got to the principal's office, and my dad was there. I was like, oh man, I don't even know what I did, but whatever I did, it's really bad. And my dad said, hey Chuck, I need you to come home with me because uh, I was driving down the road and the car in front of me hit a deer and the meat is still good, so I need you to come home and skin that deer. I was like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> now that's not a weird story for you guys. But when I tell that to people in the city, they're like, oh, you are such a redneck. But man, that was, that was just everyday life. Eventually, somebody here is going to get called to the principal's office to go home and skin a deer, I am sure. Because when I went to school the next day, all my buddies were like, man, you got called to the principal's office and then you didn't show back up. You must have really done it. I said, no, my dad wanted me to come home and skin a deer. They're like, oh, okay. What? <laughs> that ain't even news. So I grew, up in the, I grew up in the sticks. The best part of growing up in Richburg, New York was that we had woods and we had hills and we had four-wheeler trails and dirt bike trails. And I got to ride my dirt bike every day after school. The problem with that first dirt bike that I bought was that it was too small. I didn't have any money because we moved and so I didn't have this huge lawn mowing business that I got to carry with me. So I didn't have a whole lot of money to work with so I just bought whatever junk that I could afford. I bought this Honda MR175. The thing was as old as I was. It's like 14, they had quit making it years and years ago. It was this big old clunky two-stroke. It had handlebars on it as wide as a house. So when I went through the woods trying to carve through the trees, man, I just mow the trees over, man. Those handlebars would just knock the trees over. I love to ride. That thing never ran. I remember having to carry tools out in the, out in the woods with me. And uh, there was one time I had to build a fire so I could dry some parts out and get that thing to run again. So I got to be pretty creative with working on dirt bikes. Finally, when I was a senior in high school, when I was 17 years old, my dreams came true. I saw an ad in the paper for, that somebody was selling a Suzuki RM125 for 900 bucks. Now at the time, this was a $2,500 motorcycle. I had read motocross action, dirt bike, dirt rider, all the magazines I had read, and this was the bike to have, and there was no way that I could possibly afford it, but $900? Well, I had $700, but I went and I saw the guy anyway. Turns out the guy had gotten in trouble with the law, and he needed bail money. And he said, $700, it's a deal. <laughs> he said, the only problem is it's blown up. I said, well, we'll see about that. I took it home, and I drug it behind the four-wheeler until it finally pop-started, and it started running. And I rode that thing until it blew up. <laughs> For real, it blew up. Couldn't get it to fire. I didn't know what to do, so I took it into the garage, I didn't even have the right tools, but I figured out a way with a crescent wrench and, and some of the right tools. I took that motor apart, and I ordered some high-performance parts for it, and I put it back together, and the thing actually started up, and it ran until it didn't. I blew it up, <laughs> and then I rebuilt it, and I blew it up. <laughs> 
Five times that summer, I blew this dirt bike up. I finally got so frustrated that I went back to all manufacturer parts. I quit putting the high-performance stuff in it. I went back to all stock parts, and the thing ran beautifully. Never run like that before. I learned later on, as I, as I advanced in my mechanical ability, I learned later on that I needed, when I built a motor like that, you have to run race fuel. It matters what you put on the inside as to what you get on the outside. Different lesson for a different day. But man, all through that growing up, I had a great time. I had good youth leaders that spoke life into me, that told me I was valuable, that helped me through my mistakes, that helped me through my conflict. I had great parents. I had a lot of good people around me that were willing to help me out. But when I got out on my own, I went through college and I went through the army. And I forgot that I have value. And I forgot that because I'm valuable, I need to give it my best. And I started getting into some things that I shouldn't get into. Things like alcohol and the party life. And just kind of lost my focus and started just floating my way through life. Now I want to tell you something about alcohol. You guys have heard this before. Alcohol and drugs. There is absolutely no value in, al in alcohol and drugs. They inhibit, they restrict, and they prohibit. All right. Basically what that means. Restrict means to stop. Inhibit means to slow down the flow of information. Prohibit, again, means to stop in just a different way, but restrict, inhibit, and prohibit. I want you guys to say that with me, all right? Restrict. Inhibit. Prohibit. Now say ribbit. Ribbit, like a, like a pond full of frogs out here. When you get back to your classrooms and your teachers ask, what'd you learn in assembly today? You can croak like a frog and say, don't do drugs. Because that's what drugs will do. You end up being a frog on a log just trying to eat bugs. And that's kind of a, just a humorous way to make my point that at this point in my life, after I left Richburg, New York, and I kind of got out there and I started getting into the alcohol and started getting into the things I shouldn't be getting into, I, was, I forgot that I had value. I stopped doing my best. I was as, as useful as a frog on a log, eating nothing rhymes with dog. But you see, at the end of it all, Losing my way like that, I found that there was no meaning in life, there was no purpose in life, there was no use, and I came to the end of myself where I was an alcoholic, and I found out that I had a lot of problems in my life, and I got tired of living that way, and I finally reached out to the one who I believed, I believed in God, and I reached out to him, and I said a prayer, and I said, man, I surrender, I just want to get my life back on track, and next thing I knew, there were a lot of people in my life that were willing to help me out. You are valuable, and even though mistakes are made, there are people that are going to be there to help you out. None of us are ever going to get through life alone. We can't get through life. The thing about a frog, you've seen frogs hopping around and jumping around. They have no purpose, no direction in life. They're just kind of hopping around. The thing with a frog is if it hops into a hole that's deeper than it can jump, it can't get out on its own. It has to have help. Every single one of us needs help in this life. So I don't know where you are in life. I don't know if maybe in your studies you're having trouble figuring out that math problem that I gave you earlier. I don't know if you're having problems with, with school or with people at home. You've got great guidance counselors here at this school. You've got great teachers at this school. If you need help, there is no embarrassment, there is no shame in saying, I need help. Because none of the adults in this room, myself included, none of us can get through this life on our own. Don't try and do life on your own. You need help. You see, once... 
Once I figured that out and I got the help that I needed, all of a sudden good people were speaking life into me and telling me that I had value and that, uh, and that they could help me. And I started learning and I started growing and I started getting back on track and I started doing my best. At the time, I was working for Yamaha Motor Corporation. Anybody in here have a Yamaha at home? A few? All right, see? That's the company I work for. I work for Yamaha. And, uh, but one of the first phone calls I made when I said, hey, I want to get my life back on track was to Brian O'Rourke with Team Faith. And Brian invited me to start hanging out at Arena Cross events. And in 2008, two years after I said, man, I, I have value and I have worth and I'm going to start living like it. In 2008, Brian invited me to come to an Arena Cross race. And so I went to an Arena Cross race and he said, hey, would you speak to the racers at this race and just kind of tell them about yourself and your story and your life and what you have faith in these days? And I said, sure, I'd love to do that. So I went and I spoke to a crowd of people about this size and told them who I was and, and what I was all about and what I believed in. And man, I just kept going back to Arena Cross. I kept going to these races with Team Faith. And at the end of the year, I finally realized, man, I really like this dirt bike thing. I really want to ride my dirt bike. And so I loaded up my truck and I went, I, I put my Rhino in the truck, which is actually, you've seen some pictures of the Rhino there. And I went to a Big Buck GNCC in South Carolina. And I did really well. And I continued racing the rest of that season. And at the end of the season, there was a guy there that had been doing chapel services. And he said, you know what? I'm not even going to be here next year. And I don't know what's going to happen to chapel services at the racetrack. And at that moment, <laughs> I became the chaplain on the world's largest off-road racing series. I've been doing it ever since. And I've been going around and telling youth groups and churches and racers and all kinds, anybody that'll listen, I'll tell them a, a lot of what I'm telling you guys today, and that's kind of what I do. But I couldn't have put that together. Why at 12 years old did I have a love for dirt bikes when nobody in my life had anything to do with dirt bikes? What was the use in being 17 years old and taking motors apart and putting them on a dirt floor? I didn't know, but when I came on Team Faith full-time four years ago, I became the mechanic for the team. In 2012, AMA Arena Cross awarded me the Mechanic of the Year Award, the highest, most prestigious award given to any mechanic in the AMA series. I didn't know how that all worked together, but I was created on purpose and for a purpose. I have value. And even though I've hit some bumps in the road, and even though I was a frog on a log for a while, man, all that stuff comes together. And I want you guys to do your best, because at the end of it, when it all comes together, I want you guys to be X Games gold medalist, not frogs on a log. All right? So with that, you guys have value, and because you have value, give yourself an applause, all right? All right, here is your principal. Thank you. Thank you.